Welcome all to the Navigating Interdisciplinarity podcast series brought to you by the IASC ECN. I'm Hita Onikrishnan and I'm speaking to you all from a flooded Bangalore in South India. I am Maria Garoles, joining all of you from Bonn in Germany, where the River Rhine is currently having high water. influence on my journey was doing my PhD in the very interdisciplinary environment of Ashoka Trust for Research in Ecology and the Environment, ATRI, where scholars were actively encouraged to bridge the social and the natural sciences. For me personally, it was, it was where I could finally give shape to my absolute love of history and combine it with ecology, more so because I was finally working with people who supported and helped me develop such lines of questioning. I guess I work in a similar environment where our excellence cluster, FINEROP, engages with everything from computer science to robotics to plant breeding to economics. And it's actually a very enriching environment. Yet you can get lost pretty easily. Well, because there are so many interesting things to do, right? You can learn machine learning or you learn how to fly a drone. Yeah, absolutely. I often find myself chasing these rabbit holes each time I work because I continue to work within an interdisciplinary environment at Sheffield. So let's talk about these rabbit holes further with our guest today, who will be introduced as usual by a friend and colleague, Dane Whitaker. Thank you for joining us today. This is the third episode of the Navigating Interdisciplinarity podcast, where we'll be discussing working in interdisciplinary environments. I'm Dane Whitaker, a PhD student at the School of Sustainability at Arizona State University, and I have the privilege to be joined today by Nanda Weiermans, researcher at the Stockholm Resilience Center. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's our pleasure. So um, in our previous episodes, we've discussed building your profile as an interdisciplinary researcher and the opportunities and challenges of working in a disciplinary environment as an interdisciplinary scientist. So in this episode, we'll focus on your experience working in an interdisciplinary environment. Um, but before we start doing that, let's learn a little bit about you. Uh, how do you describe the research you do and yourself as a scholar? Walk us kind of through your journey. Um, well, I would always start with describing what I'm interested in now, uh, so that I, I'm interested in, I'm fascinated by human behavior, collective behavior, and particularly the challenges that we face in natural resource management. That's, uh, and I usually don't start with my background <laughs> because it's, uh, it's not one box I can be put in. But I, uh, I started studying cognitive science and it has been relabeled to artificial intelligence, which is only partially um, computer science, but it also involves philosophy, psychology, uh, the arts like languages, but also uh, physics and uh, mathematics. So it's, a, it's really a mix of all these things. And then I did my PhD and I did that on crowd behavior. So how do I behave when I'm in a group on the streets, going to a festival or being at the airport and really trying to uh, integrate social theories in a cognitive framework. So that's how I started actually uh, being interdisciplinary because I really was interested in hearing, uh, like learning more about human behavior, but then really in a social world and not just in the heads of people. And then I moved on to a more socio-ecological world where the environment suddenly became also like the physical environment also uh, became more to the forefront. So, and then I felt that it was really balanced in 
studying and understanding behavior embedded in their context, in their complete context. So I feel now I'm in the right space. That's really cool. And it sounds like kind of you've, you've followed your passions and you've kind of followed the next question. What's the, the next thing that you can understand or add to the picture, which is really cool. Hita. I was just wondering because um, something that's always interested me as I was going through my own educational uh, system was the ability to connect these different schools or disciplines as we want to call it. But the fact that we were actively discouraged from doing so uh, at the time that I was studying, uh, given the Indian educational system's focus on specific combinations of subjects, or we did simply did not have places that would give us that kind of uh, training until I think I got to my PhD uh, to a certain extent, my master's. But I was just wondering whether there was a certain choice that you made uh, in choosing these various disciplines to study. What made you divert from that traditional route of studying? Okay, let me just study psychology or just artificial intelligence. Or what made you sort of combine these two things? What was your motivation to do that? Well, it was not planned at all. But I think uh, what played definitely a role is that I'm not from an academic family. So I didn't know what was normal. Um, and when uh, trying to find a study, I didn't find anything that I like, actually. And only when I read uh, the description of this study, it was like, do you like technology and humans? And I thought, yes. And then I just went into there. Uh, so that's how it actually happened. So I think it just fitted my, my personality and my broad, broad interests. And then throughout my studies, I, I loved studying cognitive science. I still love it. But for me, they started at the wrong end, like to start with the higher cognitive tasks, what they call like how we play chess, how we plan. And I was like, yeah, but that is not really the challenge. And why do you call it higher cognitive tasks? I mean, the social stuff is so hard. So, uh, so that's why I was more drawn by that. And I, I, look, I just looked for a project as my master project that was integrating that. And then I got into the, in the, um, in the crowd area. And that made me naturally move more into the social sciences. And then there was suddenly a PhD on that. Uh, so that allowed me then to create it myself. So I, I think I was not so bound by the normal traditional rules because I didn't know they were normal and then things came on my path that I could just make the next step naturally. Yeah. yeah I think that's a very important thing right I mean serendipity plays such a big role in a lot of trajectories that we face. So um, the name of this podcast is Navigating Interdisciplinarity. What does that mean to you and what does it bring to mind? I think the first thing it brings to mind or what it brought to mind for me was uh, that my interdisciplinarity is not your interdisciplinarity. So um, when we talk about interdisciplinarity, so as if we are all doing the same thing, but for me, it's really something that I am able to um, navigate or cross several, a subset of disciplines easily, but it doesn't make me able to do that with all disciplines. And uh, that really hit home when I, um, I uh, entered uh, the Stockholm Resilience Center, which is a very interdisciplinary setting, but it was a completely different subset of disciplines that I was used to. And, uh, and, I, and I realized that that was the, the thing that I noticed the first thing is that some things come more easy to me because I, I was trained interdisciplinary in a subset of fields. But uh, if it goes beyond that, it, it gets more hard. 
And then I also realized, okay, but then I communicate about that, right? Then I can say, okay, this is more hard for me, or I need to invest more in that. So you get a, a step higher in meta reflecting about what is easy, what um, what is my strength and what is not. Yeah, mentioning the Stockholm Resilience Center, I was actually wondering how is that facilitated there? Like how is interdisciplinarity or what you call like what is what you you just put out as interdisciplinarity? Um, how how is that being facilitated there? How was it maybe also different in in the resilience center compared to where you've been before, right? Like, I think one of the biggest differences between what I had experienced before and at the resilience center is that um, we really try to integrate uh, and do things together like to integrate our knowledge and not do the multidisciplinary that you do your thing, you're the social scientist, you're the, the, the natural scientist and do your thing. And then we try to put it together in a report or something. And, uh, and that was before in my, in my other work, I noticed that it was called interdisciplinarity, but it was actually multidisciplinarity. Um, so that is something I realized that it was really different uh, now. And um, I see that it, operationalized by really creating spaces where we have um, not a normal pace of science, uh, but uh, moments where we are together, um, talk with each other. Before we had COVID, we would uh, once a year go on a retreat to an island with the whole institute and just have a few days together and talk together, have fun together. And these are the spaces where you just uh, learn about uh, the things that everyone is doing and connect in, in a way that you think, oh, let's, let's, ex let's explore this. So it's really uh, the slowing down and, uh, and connecting in, in different ways. And uh, normally in daily life, you're just busy with the next task and deadline. So I think this is the biggest difference how that is enabled within the Institute. Um, so I'm just as a follow-up, like, so, so I'm imagining that now. So, so how, how did that then work concretely? Like, right. Like when you're on that Island, you were like, oh, we're going to put you all like in random little groups. <laughs> right. And then here go and talk. Or was it more like this? Are oh, you doing something interesting? Uh, I, I don't, I don't know. Was it like more like a self, is it like a self matching or is it actually right? Institutionally also facilitated then there. Yeah, no, it, it is a really a self-matching thing. It's like a, you create a space where people can meet. There's just normal chemistry going on between people. Uh, but of course, we have uh, we have discussions around where we want to go as an institute. Where are we? What uh, so the, the normal things that you would do on a like a team retreat. And then you have breakout groups or uh, and then in your breakout groups, you go for a walk or you do you do different activities together. But that gives you an opportunity to meet people from your institute that you normally don't bump into. Uh, and I think that is important uh, to to get to know each other content wise, but also on a personal level to 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 make these different connections and get excited about something new together. Like, oh, what would that be? So and uh, when I went uh, the first time. Uh, we met, we, I, I, meet, I met people and then you're just curious, okay, how does it work? And then, oh, but, oh, if we then would use agent-based modeling and you use your behavioral experiments, then, whoa, what can happen? And then so your ideas start to 
to roll and then you just make an appointment for afterwards to just explore that have lunch together right that is how it starts so it is not that the whole research project is then like committed to it's more like oh let's meet sometime after this event and then we so i i saw these these moments really as um, where where that can happen so i want to pick back up on something you said um a couple of statements ago which is your interdisciplinarity might not necessarily be my interdisciplinarity and it probably isn't my interdisciplinarity <laughs> like there might be as many uh different types of interdisciplinarity as interdisciplinary scientists um and i want to relate that to your kind of like broad overarching research question which is how does group or collective behavior arise or change given its social and physical context so thinking about social and physical context maybe islands and then that like your interdisciplinarity is not my interdisciplinarity like what can you share from what you've learned in your research or thought about as a researcher i think the main thing i i realize is that what we all bring to the table right so uh, different ways of looking different uh, skills we have different methods we 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 can put to use and and i think particularly in in terms of the interdisciplinarity it means that you can translate between certain domains so when we are collaborating when i'm collaborating with an other interdisciplinary researcher if we have an overlap between some of our, our fields that we can cross, we can e talk quite easily with each other. But also when there are other people in the team that are not in my subset of interdisciplinary subjects, uh, the other person may have. And this person can translate for me for uh, what that person means. So for me, it helps so much to value what someone is saying instead of thinking, I don't understand or no, that uh, is probably not interesting. But I, I think it's really about uh, being able to understand the other and valuing what this uh, uh, the, the thinking and the contributions that are made by uh, that field or that person can be appreciated and then enable the use of that. So I think that is for me really what, uh, what this diversity and interdisciplinarity would bring uh, that you cannot do if everyone would be the same as I am. That, that's not useful. Yeah, so we've talked about the the M and the I, so the multi and the inter, but we haven't talked about the T, the transdisciplinarity. Um, so how does that fit in with your research or the research that the Stockholm Resilience Center does? I think it varies uh, in the, like it, it really depends on the on the person uh, how in how far they are doing transdisciplinary research. I, I don't do so much transdisciplinary research, although some of my research has that really in mind to be able to do that. So more like the fundamental building blocks to be able to engage, for instance, with policymakers or make workshops using agent-based models to engage uh, thinking about complexity or complex uh, uh, what, it, what it means to have a social ecological systems lens, uh, but it requires quite some work to be able to get there. So that is more how I now engage with it. In the past, I have been engaging with uh, policymakers in the Netherlands and doing games with them, like uh, and then uh, participatory kind of um, games. Uh, so, but it has been, it has not been very strong uh, for me, but I think that in, in terms of the collective uh, that we have at the Stockholm Resilience Center, we cover all these areas. So I think it's it is a, it is also very important for uh, SSC to have first of all to have access to that knowledge that we integrate the knowledge that we uh, that we co-produce 
ideas, knowledge, solutions. It cannot just live in, in the scientific silo. So, and I see personally that as an individual within an institution, uh, you need to find your own way, what, where you want to contribute, where you feel your strengths are. But as a, on a collective level, it's important to see whether, um, whether every aspect is covered, right? So that we don't have just uh, monodisciplinary or only interdisciplinary, but also transdisciplinary uh, research going on. Yeah, um, so I was just reflecting a bit about what you were talking about, uh, bringing different people's strengths and valuing uh, what they bring to the table and so on. And um, I think this relates a bit to how we practice interdisciplinarity, so to speak, because there is obviously the model where you have different people with different disciplines coming together and each one contributing a piece of the final product, so to speak, which, you know, and then and bring out a final product. But at the same time, I was also wondering because so here you are in an, in an environment that is inherently interdisciplinary and you yourself, you know, straddling multiple disciplines yourself. And so I was just trying to figure out or, or trying to understand a bit about uh, what that means for how you conduct research, being an interdisciplinary scholar in an interdisciplinary environment and what then would become your interdisciplinary. I think we're just going back to that sentence you said about your interdisciplinarity not being everyone else's interdisciplinarity. But yeah, I think that's something that I'd like to ask you. Yeah, I, I, I think what it means, and particularly I think for, for this generation that has way more interdisciplinary researchers from their upbringing in science, because that's the difference, right? We have interdisciplinary science in the center, but not everyone is brought up interdisciplinary. And that is a difference. So I think people that are brought up interdisciplinary need to really learn how to how someone else that is not brought up interdisciplinary, how they think and what kind of information they need. So they need to translate there quite a lot. I think the People that um, started from a monodisciplinary uh, have learned over time, particularly those that work in disciplinary, they have learned how to navigate certain disciplines. So they became interdisciplinary, but it's, it's, uh, you still have a deep understanding of the, the starting points, right? So one area or one method is very strongly represented and that you can feel at home with. Uh, so I think that is a I think that is a generational, scientifically generational difference, and that uh, requires different things from different interdisciplinary researchers, depending on where they develop their skills um, and where they start. I think that is something that I'm, I think I resonate a lot with that, especially given that we all straddle the commons field and the fact that we have different generations of Austrian scholars in here, right, with different understandings. I mean, you have the guys who've interacted directly with Ostrom herself and sort of know where she came from. You have people like us who've had the privilege of working with those people who've interacted with Ostrom, Lynn. And, and then you have a group of people who are just influenced by her writing and what she is doing. So their way of interpreting what she has written is going to be entirely different from, say, mine or, you know, people who have directly interacted with Lynn. So I, I kind of resonate a lot with what you just said about having different generational differences in the way we practice interdisciplinarity. Maria, you had something to ask? I was also, while you were saying that, I was also thinking about if there's like so generational, let's call it a generational difference for a second here, if that has an influence on how we, for example, do that, like how we how we 
engage with policymakers, for example, because you were also mentioning that earlier, right? Like, does that give us a different a different view, a view and kind of engagement with policymakers as well, right? Because, yeah, depending on, right, like, if you're, like, trained monodisciplinary first, then you're like, okay, I can't, there are problems I can't solve on my own. So I'm like, I'm starting to flirt with other disciplines, right? Falling maybe even in love with them. And then on it goes compared to being somebody who's like interdisciplinary from the start right and then you go to this domain where you say okay and now I want to bring my research out into the real world I'm calling it for a second here how am I getting getting there and how is that different I'm not sure how different it is because also as an interdisciplinary scientist from this beginning you you keep on learning right you will encounter new disciplines that you will learn about I think the only thing that may be different but I'm not sure is that the people that you would talk to in the field might be also trained monodisciplinary. And it might be easier for some other scientists that started in a monodisciplinary to connect because you can talk the same language. So that is a thing that I could see that could happen. Other than that, I don't see that there is much difference um, because you, yeah. in the end, you need to find a way to find a common language. And that is depending on way more than, than just um, being disciplinary or not. Yeah, because if I'm coming back to that for a second, then, right, like for, for me, for example, when I went into the field, it was when I introduced myself I'm an economist, right? Like, I, I, you know, when I gave myself a monodisciplinary label, so to say, people were like, okay, so that's our economist. Uh, we have no, no clue what she's doing at this plant breeding department here, <laughs> but we're going to engage with that. The first year it was super weird for everybody else, I think, right? Um, now, five years later, I can say it's fun. It's amazing for, for, I guess, like most of the people involved. I would even say I got friends with a lot of the people that I like worked with together because I don't know, we got to know each other. We're, we're, we now know when it is a joke, when somebody is saying something about certain plants or something and when it's uh, more uh, meant as a Maria, pay attention. <laughs> so yeah that's that's like I, I because I have the feeling sometimes it gives you it gives you a certain legibility for the people you engage with compared to sometimes yeah like if you say like oh I'm like and the at the inter like at the, I'm at the crossroads of everything <laughs> right like it's um I have a feeling it sometimes confuses people also a little bit yeah, I guess this is it's very different because it depends a bit on the on the match of the different people, right? But uh, it is, I mean, it can give authority, like that people mm -hmm. respect you or like can immediately attribute value to you because that label that you carry is recognizable versus if like you're generalist or something that they don't cannot identify like what are you then so that could be a problem but i think over time if you do things together and there is a, from both sides an interest to do things together that uh, what you have in the beginning doesn't play a role anymore right so i think it's a bit like how do you start and uh, but if you like you said if you're there for years and you you really do things together then then i think you always find your way together uh, and if it doesn't work then it's not because of how you started only how you started then it has probably also other reasons why it's not working so something i'm kind of noticing in this discussion as someone who doesn't claim a discipline you might walk into a room and say like, hi, I'm Dane. I study rules and norms and how those affect cooperation or adaptation. 
Whereas if you claim a discipline, you walk into a room and you say, I'm an economist or I'm a po political scientist. And so there's kind of this difference between like, what am I interested in? And then like, what is what are the methods and theories I bring to the table? And so I guess there's probably pros and cons to both. One, it's just like, I know, I know what you're interested in, but I have no idea how you like go about studying that. Um, and the other is I, I have all these preconceived no notions about how you study things, but I really have no idea what you're interested in. So I guess, do you have any thoughts on that or does that sound right? No, I totally, I totally recognize the uncomfortableness of not being able to label myself in one word uh, and, uh, and people not recognizing that. And also to, yeah, so maybe sometimes a little bit of an envy when uh, someone can say that and that everyone's like, oh, wow, yeah, yeah, cool, right? And uh, yeah, uh, but over time also like, yeah, but I, I, I don't want to be, one label because it doesn't fit right and uh, and then you just accept that certain situations are uncomfortable for what they are <laughs> yeah and absolutely adding to that too right like sometimes you also feel very uncomfortable with that label right at the same time as i'm like sometimes okay i need to clearly make myself a clean label of economist a lot of times i'm mostly saying something like I think I'm an unorthodox economist of some sort, <laughs> right? <laughs> because, um, you know, not all the theories you use fit that, that discipline or that label, for example, or all the methods you use fit that tradition that you're, you're identifying yourself with, something like that. Yeah, no, so I was just relating very uncomfortably, I guess, to the idea of labels because... I, I remember starting my current postdoc at Sheffield and my supervisor, my mentor, uh, she hates the word supervisor. So I'm going to, I'm going to amend it officially to mentor. She is my mentor, <laughs> but she asked me this question and I've, and she goes, so what is your broad intellectual project? What is it that you want to see yourself identify as in the next five years? And I'm like, I have no clue. What am I supposed to be telling her? You know, I'm just sitting here with a person I've just met who's going to be mentoring me for the next couple of years. And I have like literally no idea what to say because my interests are all over the place and I cannot sort of label myself into any one discipline, so to speak. The question I had really was when you're at a stage where you're, you've got to be answering this question to a bunch of people. There are going to be some people who are going to understand that as an interdisciplinary scholar, you find it difficult to fit into one of these boxes that have been so neatly created for you. But there are always going to be people who tell you that, and, 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 and they're right in their own way, because um, I'm not saying that one is better over the other or anything, but there's always going to be the school of thought, which tells you that you need to position yourself as an ist or an, you know, of some sort, a psychologist or an economist or a whatever, or a geographer or whatever, before you actually start doing something that crosses disciplines, because that is likely to give you more employment or that's, you know, better for your career in the long run, or it decides the kind of publications that you might want to have in your space as an early career researcher. So I was just wondering whether you had any thoughts in that direction and what would you advise people who are you know navigating this uncomfortable space in terms of positioning themselves yeah very good question and also difficult I, I i think that you can label yourself in different ways so you don't have to stick to the normal like disciplines you can also use for instance your method as a label 
it's also something to hide behind sometimes. But for me, at some point where it became easier to label myself as a modeler, which had advantages because everyone had certain ideas what a modeler is and it would be accepted and it has a certain also respect. At the same time, it just doesn't cover it fully. And I got also frustrated over the years with that because I'm more than a programmer. I do way more. I do knowledge integration. I interview a lot of people to integrate that knowledge. I like I use models to uh, guide a whole process of bringing people together. So it doesn't cover it. And I think that is also not possible when you use a label. So at some point, I, I think one should also think of labels in that moment that are fitting for you. And that could be more towards a traditional label, given the, the content, like an economist, or um, concerning a method that is uh, currently very strong in you or you're using it. But also feel free then in, in a few years to change the labels. And that's it. And I think we should feel free to change the labels how we want people to see us. And it's good to reflect on them every once in a while. Like, what do I want people to recognize me for? And for me, that helped me more than thinking of this one label that can define me because it, it doesn't. It simply doesn't. And this, this labeling is, on the one hand, something to connect to others, but also sometimes it's also need from within to belong to a group right so i do feel very strongly particularly because of this interdisciplinary that i need to have a scientific home right i need to have people that i feel at home with and i think that is very important and that is a different thing you don't have to adopt that label for the outside world but it's, it is good to have a group of people that you feel connected to that you don't even have to explain everything they understand and uh, appreciate what you bring to the table um, and i think for instance is what you are doing uh, in to connect uh, young uh, early career researchers like this is is a function of that and maybe in the next stage of your career you have another group so i think uh, this concept of that we have to have one label or one group of belonging that that needs to be constant throughout our whole lives or scientific lives i think we can let go of that and we can just move through life and let it form organically but also be aware that we do need some of these anchors and then you look for them or create them like you do i think that was wonderful it's exactly also what uh, my phd mentor harini nagendra keeps telling you know that you you use the label that's most appropriate at a given point in time and just move on from there i think yeah thanks so much yeah so wow thank you nanda and i love the kind of this this idea that these things will change throughout time and the way that you label yourself and and i often think about this in kind of like noun versus verb statements like i don't like to say i am blank i prefer to say i enjoy doing this or i'm interested in this or right now i'm doing this um because that changes based on the context the time the the mood and so i i really enjoy that and i think that's an awesome note to end on but before we go we have a couple closing questions for you so maria okay <laughs> it's my turn again yeah, so for our ending, Sotosite, we always ask two questions. One is, what's been your epic fail? <laughs> and if you want to share it, right? Like, what's one, you know, with with this interview in, back, in the background now, what we say is like one of your epic interdisciplinarity fails. And then, of course, like, what are your next challenges that you're up for, that you're in, interested in? Where, where do you see your yourself? Like, where is probably your new, new label? Like, what's your new label? What do you want to be next? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I find it a very hard question uh, or questions. So with 
an, an epic fail, I, I'm actually thinking of, um, of my first postdoc, to be honest, because that was the, what I now call the interdisciplinary project in disguise, which was multidisciplinary. And I actually, in hindsight, was thinking, did they say they were interdisciplinary or did I just assume it because that's my world, right? Uh, maybe they didn't even say that. So I, I just was a bit blind there, uh, just being surprised, like, why are they not sitting at the same? Why are they so separate? Like, even in a meeting, why do they sit on that side of the table and they are sitting on that side of the table? I don't understand. So we're a lot of, I, I think my uh, epic fail as an interdisciplinary scientist would be that I didn't see that, that it was not interdisciplinary and, uh, and act accordingly. Right? Because I think one of our biggest things is that we really adapt and uh, to the situation. And I was not adapting because I was keeping on to this dream image of what we were doing, and we obviously weren't. So I, I think that is a pretty good uh, fail. <laughs> that, is a, that, that is a wonderful fail. And I think you're also not the only one. I can really well relate to that in a former project of mine. I would also you know, I would say also like, you know, you have these like dreams that you sometimes want to pull over certain things where you say like, I got it working like that. And then you're like, no, not happening. <laughs> Just not happening. So I can understand that very well. Yeah. Inspirations yeah. for the future. Inspirations for the future. Um, I think I went a bit more through my to my roots to uh, embrace the, the cognitive uh, scientist part in me. Because I was more like going to the social sciences, psychology, really like, oh, I really want to be more that they see me as one of them. And uh, I, I, I think I sort of stopped that. I thought, like, no, I'm just, I'm very good in engaging with them, but I don't need to be part of their group. Uh, I, I want them to like me, but I don't need to be one of them. Uh, and that was really liberating. So I think that is nice. And to also really go more on the track also uh, into method development. So becoming a more like a computer scientist in the sense that I develop tools to understand human behavior, to do different forms of experiments, which I like to, to do what I envision to do. So I actually now pull a bit more back where I also came from. So I make a circle and then see what the next iteration brings. So that that's a, so it's not a new label, but it's just reappreciating where I came from and then putting it to practice. Yeah, so that was an inspiring fail and and some, yeah, I think it's really nice to reflect on where the next iteration of the circle is. We have two more, well, one but related favorite question uh, split into two parts, really, and that relates to mentoring. I mean, so we've all been mentored by wonderful people as we sort of, you know, uh, progress through our academic career, but so I think Part one of the question is really what is the best piece of advice that you might have received from a mentor that you would like to share with people like us who are coming uh, scholars. But related to that, what is the one thing that you would advise your men your mentees differently about doing interdisciplinary research in a changing world with changing priorities and changing metrics and so on? So, yeah, those are the two favorite questions that we have here. Yes, <laughs> you have good questions. Uh, so what advice did I get? I think it was not a literal advice that I took so much to heart. I think the fact that there were some people in my academic life that believed in my ideas and saw them and really then 
dug deeper and engaged with me was such an, um, a sign of fact and, and trust and uh, something that made me believe in myself when I didn't, right? So they didn't say it, but uh, these were people that believed in me before I did. So I, and I, did, I think that was so meaningful to me. So if I would turn that into advice is uh, like, if you find the work of someone that sees you as a mentor, amazing or impressive then let them know by engaging with them and not just saying it I think we get so much more affected by behavior how people treat us so that that would be something I would say to all mentors if you want to be a mentor show it don't just yeah yeah walk the talk okay Awesome. Well, thank you, Nanda. And thank you again for this wonderful insight that your interdisciplinary is not necessarily my interdisciplinarity. And also that like my interdisciplinarity today or in this chair might be different than my interdisciplinarity tomorrow or in a different chair. So thank you so much. And we loved having you on here. Thanks. Thank you. It was amazing. Great. The Navigating Interdisciplinarity podcast series is brought to you by a working group belonging to the Early Career Network of the International Association for the Study of the Commons. We are the IAC ECN. For more information on our activities and to join our vibrant network, do check us out at iac-commons.org. Thank you all and see you the next time.